I want to read you a, a passage of scripture from Jesus' words, uh, red letter edition right here in Luke chapter 11. He says these words in verse 9 through verse 13. He says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Wow, what a great promise. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, ouch, <laughs> if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more... Will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Have you, guys, have you ever stopped and say, you know, what, you know what I really need in my life? I need more of the Holy Spirit. We need more of the Holy Spirit in our church. He, he, is, he will guide us into all truth. He will glorify the name of Jesus. He will lead us into a saving knowledge of Christ because the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin and righteousness and of the judgment to come. The Holy Spirit is what drew us to Christ. The Holy Spirit is what keeps us in Christ. He indwells us. He empowers us. And we need to rely on Him. So as we begin this message, will you join with me in prayer? Heavenly Father and Lord Jesus and Holy Spirit, we ask that your presence be with us here in a powerful way this morning as we come to worship you, as we come to express our love for you, as we come to give you our thanks and our offerings, and Lord, to offer our lives and say, God, here we are. You've saved us. You died for us, and so we are going to live for you. So Lord, help us as a result of being here today. Help us to live for you more fully, to love you more deeper than we, did, than we have before, to shine your light in a brighter way than we ever have done before. And, and Holy Spirit, we ask you to be our teacher and our guide. Lord, guide the words that I share today. May my words only be the words you want me to say. And Lord, give us the ears. Give us the minds to, to comprehend and to understand what you're trying to say to us and what you want us to do as a result of this message. Lord, help us to be doers of the word and not just hearers only. Help us to grow and become more like Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. In this Thanksgiving week, we're going to have a message, and it's going to be about the pilgrims. It's going to be a little bit, our, the first part of this message is going to be about those first settlers to America landing here in Massachusetts on our eastern shores in, in the fall of the year 1620. And uh, believe me, they did not have an easy time. And one of the questions I had for you, if you saw the little short video, we put it out on Facebook and Instagram about on Thursday or Friday. Each week, it sort of gives you a little preview of what the message is going to be about this weekend. Uh, from Sebastopol Christian Church, we asked this question, and it's a serious question. If you had been a pilgrim in the fall of 1621, sitting down at that table for that first uh, autumn festival, would you have given thanks and you say, oh, well, they were Christians. They were followers of Jesus. Of course they would. Well, have you thought about what they went through in that past year in order to get to that place? Um, because it's not an easy place to look up and to be able to thank God from. Let's review a little bit about the history of these separatists. And remember, they, weren't, they didn't call themselves pilgrims. 
Uh, the Bible says in, in 1 Peter to consider ourselves as aliens and strangers on this planet. You know, Rick Warren says every Christian should walk around with a green card in your wallet, like a spiritual green card, like we're resident aliens here on this earth, because now that we're in Christ, our home and our citizenship is actually in heaven. So they call themselves separatists because the Bible says, be ye separate, come out from among them and be different. And they were different. And because they were different, they were persecuted in Europe. And so they wanted to come to a place where they could worship God freely and live the kind of life that God wanted them to live and establish a society that they thought God wanted them to establish. And so they get on this ship, this Mayflower, uh, uprooting themselves from England and from Holland. The Mayflower was no more, at the most, 110 feet long. 110 feet long. If you're out on the ocean... You know, we were out on a, on a cruise ship one time, felt kind of safe out there because the ship was, what, 900 feet long, six stories high. You know, you're, you're basically on this floating hotel. Uh, so it was a way different experience from the Mayflower. And of course, we were powered by diesel engines instead of uh, by sails. But 100 feet long, 25 feet wide, 102 of them. There were three decks on this ship. I, I saw a diagram of it. And the middle deck, this low, what they called the lower deck, at the very bottom is the cargo, then there's the lower deck, and then there's the upper deck. The crew was in the upper deck along with the captain. The middle deck, the lower deck, was only five and a half feet tall. Chris, you would have had a hard time in there. <laughs> Talk about stooping, humbling ourselves before the Lord. Five and a half feet tall on this, on this lower deck, 102 pilgrims there, 66-day trip. The first half of the trip apparently was kind of pleasant, and then it turned stormy. Everybody's heaving over the side of the ship or out the portholes or into buckets. I mean, seasickness was just rampant. The storms that happened in that last month blew them off course. Their original journey was supposed to be for the Hudson River, but they never made that. They ended up 200 miles northeast of that uh, off the coast of a place that later came to be called Massachusetts. And so 72 males, 30 females were on that uh, 102 a uh, member of the pilgrims making that void, 26 crew members. Uh, of course, I told you, blown off course. They, they settled at a place called Plymouth on land. By that time, it was late November. The winter was settling in. Most of the new settlers became sick, and many of them never recovered. They spent that first winter mostly on board the ship Mayflower, and then in the daytime, uh, the men would go out and, and build their homes, these rudimentary homes. They were nearly out of food that harsh winter. They were suffering from scurvy, from malnutrition. Uh, the, the rations became so low that Governor William Bradford instituted uh, a ration of five kernels of corn per day. Five kernels of corn per day. Governor Bradford later recalled, he, he wrote in, the, in his memoirs, he said, in two or three months' time, half of their company died, especially in January and February, wanting in houses and other comforts. They were effect, infected with scurvy and other diseases. There died sometimes two or three of their company per day. Of the 18 married women that went on this, this first group of 102, of the 18 married women, 14 of them died. That first winter, I think they were sacrificing themselves for the next generation. Maybe they gave their kernels of corn to their own children. 
and they died of scurvy and malnutrition. Only 53 of the 102 pilgrims survived that first winter. And so it was in the early spring of 1621 in April, Captain Jones of the Mayflower ship, he's now ready to sail back to England. And you know what his expectation is. Half of the people died. Uh, this, this was a nice idea. You had a great dream. It didn't work out. Who's going back on the ship with me? And he says, I'm going back to England. I want you all back on my ship. I cannot leave you here. And I wrote this in, in cap, all caps and yellow and all that. And it says, but this, this astounded me here reading this story. Not one, not one of the pilgrims went back. Now you ask yourself that question, what was it that motivated these guys to stay? I mean, I'm thinking, hey, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't know the winters were going to be this cold. I didn't see half of our group dying in the first three or four months that we're here. Uh, Lord, we did this for you. We're doing this for your glory. We're trying to establish a colony in your name to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. What's going on? And so, but they, the reason is that they stayed, I believe, is because they were convinced that they were called by God. They were called by God to stay, that God called them out for this mission. They were going to evangelize wherever they went. They were going to glorify God in their society where, wherever they landed. And, and things got even worse because uh, what they brought with them to plant in order to not starve come the next year was they tried planting wheat, they tried planting rye and barley, but the rocky soil in New England, you've probably heard of that in our, in our country's history, the rocky soil of New England doesn't grow agriculture all that well compared to other lands in America, and it wouldn't allow the wheat and the, bar and the rye and the barley to grow. So things got even worse. Now, all that happened in the first three or four months. But in the early spring, and by the way, my birthday, uh, which has nothing to do with this, but, um, <laughs> uh, but it was on March 16th, according to the records, March 16, 1621, the pilgrims are there. They're trying to build their homes. Uh, they're trying to say, what are we going to plant? And along comes a tall Indian. They found out later that his name was Samoset. And he walks into their camp, and of course, they're on their guard thinking, okay, Indian means enemy. Indian means they're going to attack, uh, fearful and everything else. And he holds his hands up and he says, welcome Englishmen in English, right? So these guys are like, wow, what is, what's happening here? His name was Samoset. Now, Samoset learned English from some of the traders and the, the people coming by on the ships, the, the English-speaking people. So he learned a little bit of English from that, but he wasn't fluent. But Samoset knew somebody who was fluent, and his name was Tisquantum, but he came later to be known as Squanto. And you guys have probably heard about Squanto. So Squanto, they, they meet Squanto, and Squanto does so many great things for the Indians. Um, another way that God blessed them was it just so happened, you know, that being a hard winter and disappointing, uh, they couldn't put plows on the ship. They had to find a field. Uh, that was already cleared. In other words, they didn't even have plows to plow up the ground. So they were looking for land that was already cleared, and it just so happened, uh, read into this God's providence, it just so happened that above the hill where they were first settling there in Plymouth, there was three acres of land that was already cleared. Because what had happened was in the year or two before, uh, there was a smallpox or, or some kind of disease that had ravaged through that, that Indian tribe that was occupying the land 
Otherwise, they probably would have been killed or driven off the land. And 90 plus percent of that Indian population had died. In fact, when Squanto, the, the story of Squanto is interesting. Um, he uh, was, of course, an Indian there in Massachusetts. He was captured by these, these traders, so to speak. They captured Squanto. They intended to sell him into slavery in Spain, going back to Europe. But Squanto escaped from them. He ended up in England. He spent a number of years in England. And he, of course, he learned English. He became fluent. And then somehow, and Squanto was a real resourceful guy, he managed to get himself back on a ship going to the New World, to America. And so he landed. They dropped him off uh, near where his home was. And he, and he went and found out that his entire tribe had almost been wiped out by this terrible disease. And so Squanto ended up going over and befriended this other tribe that was the Wampanoag tribe that happened to be the tribe that was still living around where the pilgrims were. And so Squanto was right in the middle of the tribe that was near the pilgrims, even though it wasn't his original tribe. And so Squanto comes along, and you've probably heard of that. Squanto helps them to figure out how to grow corn. When the other, uh, the wheat and the barley and rye was not growing, he taught them how to catch fish in the river. There was this freshwater river that was coming. It had lots of fish in it. She taught them how to fertilize the corn. I uh, spoke English. Uh, he helped negotiate a treaty, Squanto did, between the pilgrims and the chief of the Indians. His name was Massasoit. That was a treaty that lasted 55 years. My guess is that was the longest lasting English-Indian treaty in our history. <laughs> that would be my guess. All the way until 1676. So, so here it was, you know, they, they finally get to the autumn of 1621. Half of their population is decimated. They had enough to live on. The corn had grown. They'd harvested the corn. They, they're quoting this Psalm 107, verse 1, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. And guess what Governor William Bradford did? You remember his rationing back in the harshest part of the winter where it was just five kernels of corn per day? He puts five kernels of corn on each one of their plates. And he says to them, I want you to name five things that you can be thankful to God for. And each of them went around the table and they gave reasons for what they were thankful to God for and was probably very different from what we are thankful to God for. So uh, they gave thanks to God based on God himself, based upon his goodness, based upon their relationship with him, based upon him hearing and answering many of their prayers, based upon just the fact that they were still alive and living in the new land. I want to talk to you this morning about five reasons why we can give thanks to God based upon a psalm, and it happens to be Psalm 138. Psalm 138. I just looked it up in your Black Pew Bibles. Uh, it's page 444. So if you want to look up that, or you can follow along in the screen, five reasons why we can be giving thanks to God this year. Uh, it begins in verse 1. It says, I give you thanks, O Lord, with all my heart. I will sing your praises before all the gods. I will bow down before your holy temple as I worship. I praise your name for your unfailing love and for your faithfulness. The first reason we can praise God or thank him is, is for his love and for his faithfulness. Lisa said it in the communion meditation. God's love is the number one reason why we can thank him. He loved you and me enough to create us. He loves us enough 
to bring Jesus into our lives, the message of the good news of the gospel. He loved us enough to help us understand that message, to respond to him. He loved us enough to save us, and he loves us enough to sustain us all throughout our life in Christ. We can thank God for who he is. Faithful love is God's basic characteristic. That faithful love, I, I believe it's also translated loving kindness. If you have your New American Standard, we praise God, we thank him for his loving kindness. That is a great Hebrew word. It's a Hebrew word. It almost makes you spit when you say it. It's the Hebrew word chesed, chesed, C-H-E-S-E-D, chesed. And it means loving kindness, but what it means literally is one who keeps covenant. In other words, God has made a covenant with us in Jesus Christ. We repent of our sins. We believe the gospel message. We put our trust and faith in Jesus Christ, and God agrees to save us, to forgive us, to answer our prayers, to give us the Holy Spirit, to empower us to live a godly life. And then ultimately, God promises to take us to be in, with him forever in paradise, just like Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today, I tell you, you will be with me in paradise. So God promises to do all that for us, and God, because he is faithful, God will always make good on his promises. So we praise God for his faithful, covenant-keeping love for us. We praise God for his loving kindness, his chesed on our behalf. So that's a reason why we can praise God. A second reason why we can praise God is verse 2. It says, as soon as I pray, you answer me. You encourage me by giving me strength. Now, being able to... Uh, to pray to God, it says that we can uh, come boldly before the throne of grace. It says that in Jesus, in his name, when we pray in Jesus' authority, God hears our prayers and he answers our prayers. That's a whole other message to say, in what way does God answer our prayers? There's at least three or four different ways God will answer our prayers. We don't always pray for, we don't always get what we pray for, but we get what is best for us. And later on, in hindsight, sometimes we can say, God, thanks for not answering the prayer that I prayed right there because that would have been terrible if I'd actually got what I, what I asked you for. So we can rely on God to not just to hear, but to answer our prayers. And I think I posted it last week on an Instagram for our church when it says, when life gets too hard to stand, we can kneel and pray. So that we can always rely on God to answer our prayers. The third reason to, to give praise to God is that we can publicly exalt God for his ways. That's another way to give praise to God is to be public in our praise of him. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord keep it to themselves. Is it, is it excuse me, did I just misquote scripture, right? Let the redeemed of the Lord keep it to themselves. What? No, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And that's why David says in this prayer, he says, every king in all the earth will thank you, Lord, for all of them will hear your words. How are the kings of the earth going to hear the word of the Lord? Only if God's people shared the word of the Lord with the kings of the earth. Only like when in, in King David's son and his reign, all the kings of the earth were making their way to Israel and Jerusalem because they heard what an awesome country they had and they heard what an awesome God they worshiped. Yes, they will sing about the Lord's ways, for the glory of the Lord is very great. We can publicly exalt God for all, of his, for all his ways. We let the redeemed of the Lord say so. De, uh, Paul said it this way. He said, I am not ashamed 
of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel is God's plan to save everyone who believes. So let's go public and exalt God for his ways publicly. Okay, another reason we can praise God based on verses six and seven, though the Lord is great, he cares for the humble. Isn't that great for you and me? (laughs) Though the Lord is great, he cares for the humble. The Bible says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He keeps his distance from the proud, it says. Though I'm surrounded by troubles, you will protect me from the anger of my enemies. So in difficult times, there's another reason to praise God. In difficult times, we can depend upon God to save us, to be our refuge and our strength, to be like Martin Luther, a mighty fortress is our God. His favorite Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in time of trouble. Think of this. Think of a child in a boat, in a storm, out to sea, but the child is holding on to her father. And though the, the, the boat is being battered by the wind and the waves, yet in her father's arms, that child knows security and serenity because nothing of those, none of those outside forces can get to her because she's being protected by her father. And our heavenly father God is saying to us this morning, that's how I protect you, my child. Like a father with his child, I will not let outside forces and circumstances, I will not let them rob you of the peace and the rest found in me. Be that trusting child and cling to me. I will not fail you. I have only your best interest at heart. We can depend on God in difficult times. And then finally, the fifth reason why we can praise God and give thanks to him is I can trust that God will use me for his good purpose. Look what it says in verse 8. The Lord will work out his plans for my life. Another translation said, the Lord will work out his good purpose for me. I think Hannah said it in in one of the uh, prayers that she gets when she was quoting Jeremiah 29. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to bless you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. God has good plans for us. The Lord will work out his plans for our life. If you are not yet a follower of Christ, do you know what the Lord's plan for you is? To get into Christ, to get to put your trust and your faith in Jesus so you can become part of his family. I mean, the whole reason why God opened up heaven in the first place was so that you and I could go there. He opened up heaven, you remember very briefly, but he opened up heaven and Jesus came down. We're going to talk about that in the next month as we come into Advent, into Christmas time. Uh, God opened heaven for us, not so that he could close heaven up forever. He opened heaven up for us so that he could make a way for you and I to go to heaven. That's ultimately God's good purpose for us. But in the meantime, God says, while you're still on earth, he says, I want to bless you. I want to empower you. I want to equip you. I want to make you more like my son so that you can join with me in your life on mission and so that you can be in this rescue operation with me so that everybody on the face of the earth, back to verses three and four, so that all the kings of the earth and every inhabitant of the earth would know the goodness and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So as long as we still have breath in our lungs, as long as we're still here on this planet, God has a good purpose for us to make us more like his son and then to use us to reconcile the rest of the world to his son Jesus. I can trust 
that God will use me for his good purposes. One more Thanksgiving verse that I have for you guys. I'm just going to throw a bunch of scripture out there, see which one you like the best. Take that with you, right? But this is a great one. This is three quick commands of scripture right at the end of one of Paul's first letters, one of the, probably one of the earliest writings of the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians, right? Paul says this, rejoice always. Governor Bradford puts five kernels on your plate in the fall of 1621 and quotes, rejoice always, seriously? Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Give thanks. That's what the theme of this week is. My hope, Lisa's hope and our prayer for all of us, for all of you guys, is that whenever you gather around the table at Thanksgiving time, that there would be a time where you say, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Give thanks to God in all circumstances. I hope there'd be one, of, whether you put five kernels on your plate or not, maybe, you know, five heapings of mashed potatoes and say each one of these heapings, you got to give one reason why God, why, why you have to thank God. I, I remember we did this one time and I had a, a slightly irreverent brother-in-law because everybody else is really spiritual. And he says, I just thank God for these mashed potatoes. They're so good. I was like, well, if that's the best you can do, right? We got way more reasons to thank God than good mashed potatoes, although I hope you have that. So this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus, that we would be a people of thanksgiving. We're giving, to thanks, we're giving thanks to God because he is loving and faithful to us always. We give thanks to God because he hears and answers our prayers. We give thanks to God because he's worth our praise. He's worthy of our praise and our worship. And not just privately, not just to ourselves. He's worth praising him in public. God is worth our praise because he sustains us and carries us through difficult times. And then also we praise our God because he promises that he will use you and me for his good purposes. Let's pray to God together. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we give thanks to you. We give praise to you this morning for your faithful love. Lord, you are good and your mercies endure forever throughout all generations. And Lord, we want to thank you, each of us individually, as we reflect over this last year of our lives. Lord, thank you for sustaining us, for carrying us through all those difficult times, all the hardships that we have had to endure Things didn't go our way, setbacks, left turns, right turns when we thought the path was going to be smooth and straight. Lord, thank you for carrying us through. Thank you for being with us always, for always keeping all of your promises. Lord, you're such a great, good, covenant-keeping God. Lord, help us to lean into you more and more in the days ahead. Help us to humble ourselves and to depend on you, to learn that secret of when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Because when I'm weak, then the power of Christ rests on me. God, help us to learn and to practice that spiritual secret. Lord, help us to depend on you when we call on you daily in our prayers. When we need your direction and your wisdom. Lord, remind us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Help us to look to you first you're the source of every good direction, every good thing that we have in our lives. You're the source of all wisdom that we need. 
to guide us in the days ahead. And Father, we thank you most of all for sending your son Jesus to us, for the forgiveness that we have in him, for eternal life, for the hope that we have for the future, for the assurance that we are in your family forever. We are secure in your love and in your grace. And God, I pray that as we go out this week that we will just be able to reflect and to shine that love, that grace, that forgiveness. Lord, we may be around some difficult people to love this week. We may be spending time with people that we normally would rather avoid. But Lord, help us because you loved us unconditionally. God, help us to pass on that unconditional love. Help us to give them their, our time and our patience and our listening. And help us to uh, speak a good word for you, to, sh to praise you publicly wherever we go. God, thanks for hearing our prayers. Thank you for Jesus and thank you for this church. Thank you for this community, this pillar of faith right here in the middle of Sebastopol. God, help us to keep shining our light for you as a church, as a lighthouse. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.